Hello and welcome to the B-Team Podcast. My name is John Macy and this is the latest episode of The Pull List, our weekly comic book review show. I'm going to, format-wise, I'm going to do things a little differently this week in terms of uh, grouping and order of stuff reviewed, I guess. I mean, I'm not, you know, not like I'm going to start doing a dance or anything. Not like you'd be able to see that. Um, we're going to hit all the non-King and Black stuff first. Normally, I would uh, pull out the X-Books separately, but one of them actually does tie into that this time around. So I'm just going to hit everything that's not King and Black first and then go from and then just end out with the King and Black stuff. Uh, we will start with Amazing Spider-Man 59, written by Nick Spencer, with art by Marcelo Ferreira. Uh, this continues the whole Mr. Negative storyline they ha- they've had going for the last, I think it's two issues now, maybe. Uh, this might have been like a shorter filler kind of thing. Um, so it's basically just more of uh, Spider-Man fighting his little gang. Um, and he's sort of in his alter ego of Martin Lee. Negative is sort of unburdening himself to May Parker. Um and you find out something that I'm kind of surprised by. It sort of almost in a way sort of invalidates the entire character uh, because the whole big thing during the the brand new day run when he was introduced was that he was a good guy who was, you know, had this dark side that embodied itself in this evil guy who ran gangs and stuff. And it was a constant fight between those two parts of his personality to uh, to um to see who would have control of that. What they basically said in this, and I'm not sure what the larger point of this is, unless there's more stuff that Spencer has planned with this character, which I suppose is fine. Um, that the guy that we know as Martin Lee, you know, basically stole that identity from somebody else that he murdered. And that that guy, that the person we know as Martin Lee was actually a human trafficker who was using the, space under that homeless shelter that he was running to like hide trafficked people. So like to me, I mean, that's, that's cool. I guess if you want to make some sort of larger point about human trafficking and everything, but why do it in such a way that pretty much invalidates that entire character from what you set up earlier? I mean, unless, I mean, you could have just very easily have said that when he was evil, he was doing human, human trafficking through the, through the homeless shelter. Like, do you really have to go to the point of making it uh, so unnecessarily complicated that he was always a human trafficking scumbag? Like, okay, I guess. So then uh, Kingpin shows up, who is still the mayor of New York. Uh, I'm betting there will be some sort of, um, maybe not the next event, depending on how much longer they want to play this out for, but... There will be an event at some point in the next year or two where the Kingpin finally makes some sort of move against costume people in New York. And uh, they'll probably call it like City of Crime or some shit. Um, so he shows up and arrest his his little police force. He has like his own separate uh, wing of police, I think. Arrest Mr. Negative for you know the fight going on at the homeless shelter. And then he lets him out. Kingpin basically immediately lets him out and says, you know, I need you to find some sort of, I think there was a story in the 70s about some kind of stone tablet thing. I haven't gone back that far. Um, 
and they're basically saying that there are two of them and the the reason why the it didn't really have the the goal he wanted it to have the first time around was that he didn't have the other one which we didn't really know about at that time um and it seems like his entire kingpin's entire reason for doing this is fairly benevolent as he goes he just wants to bring his dead wife back to life i guess um so there's that and at the end he basically has negative join a group of other villains that he's hiring out to go look for this thing. So I'm wondering if that will be, you know, the next big story for Spencer will be a bunch of villains looking for this tablet thing. And Spider-Man has to somehow get in the way of that. So it's fine. It's right in the usual quality zone for uh, Spencer's book these days. Um, Next up, we have Eternals 2, written by Kieran Gillen, with art by Asad Ribic. And uh, this, you know, continues the, I'm sure they're up at, trying to up the profile of the Eternals before the movie comes out, whenever that is. Um, and I do think it's interesting that they're framing this whole thing around a murder mystery, which was a bunch of immortal godlike beings, like, why would this be a thing? Uh, but if you remember the last issue cr- properly... Um, the head eternal was murdered by somebody and you know even though they can pretty much immediately bring people back from the dead they still feel a need to investigate it um but then you find out that the one thing i do think was interesting and maybe i missed in the previous issue there's a lot of um caption boxes with narration and stuff and what i either didn't realize the first time around or wasn't outright said the first time around the narration is provided by uh, the Great Machine, which is this thing that sort of runs Eternal Society, and that's the thing that allows you know ha- allows them the technology to, for the resurrection stuff. Uh, there's a fight with Thanos in here, which was kind of cool. He showed up at the end of the first issue, and you knew there was going to be some sort of throwdown there. Um, after that, Icarus and Sprite, who are the two lead characters of this book so far, although I guess with this structure you could base it around anyone. Um, go back to uh, the eternal city there and decide with others to, and conveniently some of the other characters who are going to be in the movie, like uh, Cersei and Kingo, who I've never seen before, but looks nothing like Kamel Nanjiani art-wise, which I'm not entirely surprised by, but I kind of thought maybe they would go a little closer to that, um, given that, you know, no one really knows who these characters are anyway. Um, so the, a couple of them have decided to uh, go against the rest of their society and really try to figure out who this murderer was um, just because, you know, no one else in their whole whole society seems to care about it all that much because you can just bring everybody back from the dead. But then you find out that somebody mucked with the great machine thing and you can't do that anymore. So now they're um, so there's that. And that might be an interesting thing to do with the Eternals if you um, continue that going forward, where they don't quite have the safety net that they've always had. Um, I still think they'll end up doing something like this with the X-Men, with all that resurrection crap. Um, The one thing I will say about this book, and the thing that makes it actually hard to get through, is Ribic's art, which I normally like, is horrible. He draws faces in such a way that it's just, it's, I can't think, you know, I can't really articulate 
why it bothers me, but it just comes off as like repulsive in a way. Like he draws all these weird faces on these people. And it's like, they kind of look like, you know, those museum statues of like Neanderthals or whatever, with like the heads leaning forward and the mouths open and just every single face he draws just kind of looks like that. And it just like, it's, they all have the same face and it's just, it's disturbing. Um, so I'm kind of trying to ignore that as much as possible because I'm not generally a huge art guy and um, just kind of go with the story and just kind of put aside the fact that I think the art is horrid. Um, okay. So uh, cu still curious to see where this one goes. It's not really far enough in for me to say, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. This is bad. Um, but it's leaning that way unless they do something in the next couple issues that really catches my interest and gives me enough reason to power through the horrible art. Um, okay. Next up will be, uh, let's just go to Excalibur 18 written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus toe. Um, this picks up from last month where, uh, Betsy Braddock slash Captain Britain had returned from the dead after 10 of swords. And uh, they're basically trying to figure out the rest of the team is basically trying to figure out how that happened. Uh, Cause that, she just kind of appears out of nowhere. And considering that during 10 of swords, they had literally seen her like disintegrate. I think there were a little, uh, the other team members are a little concerned that maybe this isn't legitimate. Um, so then they go to Avalon, which is where, her crazy brother, Jamie Braddock hangs out. I think just Gambit goes and does this um, where he's they're concerned that he's creating duplicates of her without their knowledge. Cause his powers are basically whatever the writers want them to be. Um, and he can basically do whatever he wants. Uh, but you know, he assures them that he's, he basically says I'm crazy, but I'm not an asshole. So he assures Gambit that he hasn't done that. And then uh, Brian Braddock shows up, who's also now going by uh, Captain Avalon, as he's become like the defender of that Avalon area. Um, and he shows up and interacts with Betsy, and he's like, no, this is not right. This is not my sister. I don't know what this is. Um, so it's kind of nice to see him uh, interact with some other X characters. I mean, he's not, he's not actually a mutant, but every story he's been in that I've ever seen with the exception of, um, he was in Rick Remender's secret Avengers run for a while. Every story I've ever seen him in aside from that is mutant related. So it, it's kind of nice to see him back in, you know, what most fans I think would consider his home area. And then at the end of the book, I mean, the, quote-unquote Betsy Braddock actually attacks Rogue for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> um, and uh, Silohuck shows up and shuts it down as like, this person clearly is not Betsy Braddock. You guys got to figure your shit out. Um, so, um, not great. I mean, doesn't really, doesn't really do that much. Um, I guess they're going to try to mine this mystery of what is really going on with Betsy Braddock here, which, you know, that's kind of cool. I do think though that they didn't give if you're going to do that, they didn't keep her out of the book long enough for me to care already. Like if she'd been out of the book for six or eight months or whatever, 
or a year even, or however long, you know, the longer you kept her out before deciding to do this, it would have been more interesting. But I think she wasn't in the book for like maybe two months. Uh, if even that, it might've been like one issue after 10 of swords and then she's back again. Um, but I do generally like this team. One of the interesting side things here is that Richter, who is general is basically becoming like the accolade of apocalypse. Now that he's not around anymore. Cause he left the team after 10 of swords as well. Um, he's going through a lot of the research that apocalypse had been doing on mutant kind, particularly after the Krakoa thing. And I guess one of the big points that Apocalypse wanted to make and sees as the future of, of mutant kind is that now that they're all in one place and all sort of on the same side, they're going to be able to combine their powers in ways that have never been attempted before. And it will uh, make fairly significant changes to the world and to the way mutants are viewed. And that's, that's an interesting idea. And I'm probably not even explaining it correctly or giving it, um, the justice that the book does, but we'll, you know, but so if you're interested in that idea of like basically new permutations of how mutants operate, um, that seems like it might kind of be an end point of what this, what this, uh, Hickman line is going to end up doing. Um, so, okay. So let's see. Um, I guess, our final non-King and Black book this month will be X-Force 17, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Joshua Kassara. This is um, it's basically a solo issue about Quentin Choir. Um, I do kind of like when, you know, these team books occasionally take breaks and go and dive into, like, one character on the team that generally doesn't have a solo book, and um, you're able to get some some background or some character growth of this character that doesn't have anywhere else to be showcased really. And choir is a character that I have never really liked all that much because of the way he's written. He's just kind of a, kind of a, he's a super powerful mutant. Uh, he's like, I don't know, maybe 20 years old. And uh, as much as age really matters in this universe, cause it just sort of stays in, in a place for as long as writers want it to. Um, but he's like insanely powerful and a complete asshole. And um, everyone, everyone in the X line just sort of puts up with him because I feel like it's because if you don't, there's a good chance he could destroy you. Um, but you know, this starts to get into like a little bit more of the psychology behind like why he's such an asshole. And maybe he like puts on an act uh, in a way because he doesn't know how else to deal with people. Um, it is kind of simplistic in that way, but it's more character analysis of this particular character than I've ever seen in one place. Um, <clears throat> and if they can maybe get him away from the, like everything he does is through the prism of being a giant dick, then maybe uh, I will find him more interesting. At least I don't know what the general uh, consensus on that character is. Um, so, you know, I, I would think unless you really like this character, you could probably skip this one. Um, but I'm a completist anyway, so I'm going to read. Once I commit to a series, I'm going to read it. Um, all right. So let's go into the, the King in Black stuff. There's a fair amount of it this month. I believe there were five of them that I read. Uh, we're going to... We'll knock out the bad ones first just really quickly. 
because I don't think they especially need to be uh, looked at all that much. Um, that would be, and I'm actually just going to blast these together. Um, Fantastic Four 29, written by Dan Slott, with art by, and I hope I say this correctly, Zay Carlos. And King and Black, Black Panther, written by Jeffrey Thorne, with art by Herman Peralta. Black Panther 1 is a one-shot, uh, not written by Ta-Nehisi Coates. I'm guessing they didn't want to interrupt his run with this stuff, um, and his run his run on Black Panther is actually almost up. So I'm guessing they didn't want to, um, they wanted to have somebody else write this so as not to interrupt what he's doing over there, which also has, his book has actually not come out in a while. So I'm curious um, actually how many issues he has left. I think it's supposed to end in April. Um, so these two are basically the exact same thing. Hero X fights piles of symbiote glop for 25 pages or however many pages your average comic is now. Um, these are bad. Um, I generally like slots FF run. Um, but these two books are bad to me because they just do the same, you know, the, the tie-ins to this aren't really adding anything. It's just the same crap every time with the, except there are a couple that I'm going to talk about still today that are better than that, but particularly the the one shots that are just you're basically asking people to pay extra money for things that do nothing or are in the case of like the one I did last week about Black Knight are actively bad and actively destroy the character um but you know the the Black Panther one does the standard thing of like oh the symbiotes attack Wakanda and then uh T'Challa comes up with something cool and sciencey and beats and fights him off. Like, whoopee. We've seen this a hundred times in every fucking event they've been doing in the last four years. Like, in Empire, the plant people attacked uh, Wakanda, and he beat him. And in Secret Invasion, the Skrulls attack Wakanda, and he beat him. And, um, yeah, pretty much every event now... The most they can do with Black Panther in any of these events is I'm going to defend my country. I'm going to come up with some random science thing and then we win. Yay. Um, and Fantastic Four 29 was just the Fantastic Four get dropped in the middle of that battle in New York and fight some glop and, and kind of lose. And maybe that will that will play it. Maybe the next issue looks like it might be interesting because you're going to have uh symbiote possessed members of the team fighting each other, fighting the people who aren't. So maybe that will actually get some interesting character stuff, but uh, excuse me if I'm not uh, jumping up and down about that. So anyway, those two out of the way very easily, very quickly. Um, and now we'll get into the, the decent uh, King and Black stuff, um, which we'll start with a uh, King and Black Thunderbolts number two written by Matthew Rosenberg with art, by Juan Ferreira. Um, this is, I mean, this does fall into the same trap of like hero X fights glop again, but this at least has uh, interesting character back and forth. And it's a group of characters that I've at least never seen take front and center. Like if anyone's ever thought of putting taskmaster, Mr. Fear and Batrock at the center of a Marvel book. I've never seen it before. Um, 
and Batrock actually kind of steals this book because he's funny as hell. Um, and there's, it's just, this is, if you're going to do an event like this, this one is, and you're going to do these tie-ins where all these different heroes are fighting this thing. This one at least gave me something interesting to be like, okay, it's kind of more of the same, but at least they're doing it in a fun way. Um, so this has one more issue. I think it's uh, three installments. And then, you know, I know I said last month, I think that this wasn't a strong enough team to do a, a new Thunderbolts book around. And it probably still isn't that. But if you can take these couple of characters and then build it out with um, some other some add-ons at the at the beginning of a new volume sure i mean i would i would watch this version of taskmaster and batrock do that for a while um so that one i can recommend at least i'm trying not to get too spoilery plus if you've read one of these king of black times they're all kind of basically the same um and now we get into the best of those for the week which was or no we'll go to yeah no audible We'll go to sword number three first, written by Al Ewing with art by Valerio Schiti. I think I'm saying that correctly. Um, this is another King and Black thing, which is why I didn't separate out all the X stuff like I normally do. Um, this basically focuses on the character Manifold, who was a big part of, who was in, prior to this, was in uh, Hickman's Avengers run and had a role in uh, the recent issues of Ta-Nehisi Coates' Black Panther run. Uh, an interesting character. I think he's related to the Aboriginal mutant Gateway in some way, or at least he was taught by him. They have basically the same powers of, like, teleporting. Or, you know, the simple version of it is to call it teleporting. I mean, they refer to in this in this book that it's actually, like, he has the ability to fold space in such a way that he can just do whatever he wants. And there are other things he could do aside from teleporting that they've never really shown. And this gets into that a little bit. Um, he ends up spying on Henry Peter Gyrick and finding out that there is a mole in sword somewhere. And I assume there'll be, that'll be part of the story going forward that he's trying to figure out who that is. Um, again, I do like these, these issues where they go into like an individual team member who doesn't have any other, any other spotlight to go to and, uh, kind of build out that character a little bit. I don't think in these team books you can do that all the time, but especially with this sword book that has a lot of, outside of Magneto and Cable, has a lot of very obscure characters who could probably use this kind of uh, spotlight in a way. Um, uh, so yeah, the, if you're... I'm enjoying this one. I think it it asks the audience a lot because it do, it's not really explaining a whole lot. I think that's one of the downsides of it starting during one of these events and deciding to immediately to dive into this event immediately. Um, so uh, I'm curious to see more like what they do with this book after this event is over, or at least after it drops out of it. Um, but not a bad read. Um, and let's see, can I get the last one in? in um, yeah, we're just going to stop right here, um, and I'm going to take a short break and come right back with, we have one more review that I'm going to get to, and then I'll read off my list for next week, which is a little longer. So, okay.
And we're back with our final review of the week, uh, Daredevil 27, written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by uh, Marco Cicchetto. Uh This continues the, the whole Daredevil in prison thing. It's actually kind of a split story. This is during, this is, does uh, cross over into King and Black, as the last one did. Um, and this does actually sort of do parallel storytelling with uh, Matt Murdock still in prison, from um, the the events of the last few months, and Elektra out in New York being Daredevil. Uh, basically, the last issue ended with uh, Matt in the prison being possessed by one of the symbiotes, so he's like fighting that off or trying to fight that off. Um, and uh, while that while that's going on, Elektra is out in the streets fighting a symbiote powered version of typhoid Mary, uh, which was kind of interesting. Um, so to keep this quick, uh, Matt basically is able to fight off the symbiote has a, a fair bit of dialogue, like internal mental dialogue with null. Um, and I don't really remember why he's able to do it. Like, I think it had something to do with like his, psyche was too fucked up for Null to really get a grip on because he's so like overridden with guilt and stuff. Um but I'd have to I'd have to go back and look at it again and I'm trying not to spoil too much, I guess. Um so that was kind of interesting. And he does have an opportunity to escape the prison uh during all the fighting that's going on here and he doesn't take. So um I would guess that means that they're going to uh keep this whole idea of him in prison going for a while. Um, I have a feeling that if they get to that, you know, Kingpin related event that I was speculating about earlier, that that will be the point at which he leaves the prison. Um, because God knows you can't have some big story where Kingpin gets taken down without him at the center of it. Um, so, and then on the Electra side, um, she ends up, obviously fighting typhoid Mary, as I said earlier. And the whole thing is that she's, it calls out that she's trying to do the daredevil thing in the same way that Matt would and failing because she is not Matt Murdock and she has a different mindset than Matt Murdock and uh, has different strengths and weaknesses than he does. So it's basically the, the trope of like, well, okay, I, I have, you know, I'm going to do this hero thing for a while, but I have to do it my way rather than trying to um, emulate what the person who did this before me was doing. And that is successful. And um, I do think it's an interesting point for, you know, whether this ends up with some sort of like redemptive thing for Electra, I'm not so sure about. Uh, that might be interesting to see because of how long she's kind of been this the, the really long time frame in which she's kind of been this morally ambiguous character. Um, and I know that's kind of, that's kind of been where most writers have had her sit for quite a while. Um, so it might be interesting to see like if this thing that she originally took on as like making some sort of promise to Murdoch to do this for him, if this turns into like, some sort of like larger redemptive thing for her. I'm not sure that it will. Cause I don't know that there's a lot of interest for, you know, her as a, 
as a, to use a wrestling term, like the white meat baby face sort of thing. Like, I don't know that anybody really wants to read that. Um, so, you know, I think they'll try to keep, you know, the shades of gray that she always sort of lives in um, just to keep the character somewhat interesting, I guess. Um, so this was a more than serviceable tie into this, to this event like when they're when they use this to also move the larger story of the book forward i have no problem with it it's these all these one shots and like side stories that are just repeating the same shit you know they're not gonna you know particularly the one shots not written by the regular writer of the title like you know this isn't gonna do anything because the person who's in charge of the title didn't come up with it um so there's that and those are our books for the week. And uh, hopefully I didn't go too long and bore you all. Um, I don't think I did. I think this will end up being under a half an hour. Uh, so our list for... Oh, and one comment I will make uh, on top of everything else is that I think I'm... Uh, I never thought I would say this. I was happy for the, the DC break during Future State just for the sake of my wallet, if nothing else. Um but I think I need new DC stuff to come back because Marvel's too symbioted out right now and it's getting a little old. <laughs> um, so uh, can't wait for March when, uh, when uh, I'll actually be buying DC stuff again. Um, so our list for next week, and it looks like there's a fair bit of non uh, King and black stuff in here. So maybe I will be happier next week. Um, cable eight. Captain America 27, Champions 4, Guardians of the Galaxy 11, Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon number 2, Iron Man 6, King in Black 4. Still have hope for the main event here, even though a lot of the tie-ins suck. Uh, Marauders, Marauders 18, Miles Morales, Spider-Man 23, Savage Avengers 18, Thor 12, and X-Men Legends number 1. As I understand this X-Men Legends book, I think what they're doing with this is they're going to go back and like tell new stories to fill in like gaps in X continuity that have never really been addressed. Um, I don't know how long I don't I think this is supposed to be an ongoing series, probably for as long as they have ideas for it. Um, and God knows that X continuity has a lot of holes in it. So you could probably do this for quite quite a while before you run out of shit to cover. Um, but I'll be, I'll look at the first couple and you know, if it works for me after three, four installments, I'll keep doing it. If not, I won't. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, if you go to our feed after this is posted, which will be later today, um, you'll also find our latest, uh, B team goes to the movies episode. Um, where we did the 1999 superhero comedy Mystery Men. Um, and we are also planning on this week recording another one of those on um, on uh, 1987's Masters of the Universe, starring Dolph Lundgren, which should involve all four of us. I believe all four of us are going to be on that, because uh, we finally got Justin to sit down and watch something. Um, so... That'll be fun, and we hope that 
you guys will enjoy that when that is released. We are also planning in the next few weeks on, um, obviously, we're going to do a wrap-up show on WandaVision, which uh, everyone is enjoying, as far as I know. Uh, Josh sort of thinks it's fallen apart already, but we'll get into that. And Brent just keeps screaming from the rafters about Mojo. So uh, part of me hopes that maybe he'll be right about that, just because I think it would be really entertaining if, like, he's been screaming about this weird theory for the last month, and if he ends up being right, my God, I just think that would break that would break my brain, at least. Um, we're also planning on uh, doing a speculation and preview show for Falcon and Winter Soldier around that same time. Um, we have, uh, what else do we have planned? A couple more of the, the random movie shows. Um, Josh, we're probably going to do a, a preview and speculation show on the Justice League Snyder Cut uh, going forward. I'm not sure how many of us are actually going to uh, watch that when it comes out on the 18th of March. Um, I know I will because I have HBO Max, and I don't know that any of the other three guys do at this point, but Josh sounds like he might try to get it just for that one month so that we can do that. Um, so at the very least, you'll get, a, you'll get a fun show of us throwing theoretical stuff around for a movie that most of us probably won't even bother with. Um, so, yeah, watch this space, and we'll just keep putting stuff out. So have a great week, everyone.